Love this podcast? Support this show through the Acast Supporter feature. It's up to you how much you give and there's no regular commitment. Just hit the link in the show description to support now. doing Daniel Ruiz Tyson is available for Monday the 5th of July 2021 with me Daniel Ruiz Tyson episode 337 hope you're all healthy and doing what you need to be doing to keep yourself going it's uh, 16 44 hours on my PC, 16.42 on the clock in the front room, and I suspect it's even earlier in the kitchen. Multiple time zones going on in this flat. Need to sort that out. Overtired. Spent the weekend, particularly yesterday, spent much of it in bed, which I don't think agreed with me. I think, as I've said in recent weeks, I've been trying to do that thing paying attention to my body for once as advised and uh, you know if my body says I'm tired then I just down tools at the weekend and that's what I did this weekend but I have to say I feel kind of worse for it today had to take some pills yesterday and today to shake off headaches I kept falling asleep yesterday which meant that I then had a bad night's sleep uh, predictably last night but I think the idea was right trying to rest was right I felt more relaxed for resting. I just think maybe I took the rest in too far, which is typical of me. A quiet weekend as usual, no hospital this weekend. I suppose that was a a plus. Went for a run on Saturday afternoon, not my usual run day. I'll explain why that happened uh, later. I'm trying to understand a bit more about calories and intensity of runs, etc., I think I noticed that with my body getting used to running over 10k again, I was starting to coast on my runs last week. Not on Saturday, though. I I think I hadn't yet recovered from Wednesday night's football. The original plan had been to run on Friday night, but I was recording episode 336, getting it out, and uh, I missed the runtime, so I pushed it back. Good job, too, because by Saturday afternoon, with another 20 hours or so rest, for the body, I was really, even then, I was still struggling. So I think that's something for me to bear in mind when it comes to football this week. On Wednesdays, I'm going to just try and do a shorter run. I'm going to try and burn more calories, raise the intensity in patches, and uh, save the legs for football. And, you know, I've been reading a bit, you know, a few articles on running, and they talk about how you can limit the boredom, how you can limit the stress on the body. I'm, I'm fortunate in that most of the time I'm running on trails or on grass, but obviously winter, it's a it's a different story. Uh, the boredom, anything to limit the boredom, I'm certainly interested in. This morning, walking through the park on my way to my aunt's, I noticed that the grass was being cut. It's a fairly big park, so it will take a while for the grass everywhere to be cut and sometimes the long grass areas they just leave uncut and uh, often if I'm making way for dog walkers or just walkers on the trails I end up having to run through the long grass and that does irritate my legs and I, I, I come back and I was talking about this on episode 336 I come back within about an hour 
my legs are inflamed, my shins are inflamed, and I have to put some cream on them and calm it down. I'm such a sensitive soul. I am off for my evening run after this. It's now 16.51 hours, so I am pushing it. Need to work out what I'm going to eat tonight. There was a, a pop there, which uh, maybe I'll let it out. Maybe I'll just uh, leave it in. On Saturday, I came back from my run about 16.30 hours. I was out there for about an hour, and I came back convinced that the England game was at 1,700 hours and I'd had an email from a guest coming up on when shorts were short, talking about uh, when the interview was set up for, and they wanted to change the date. And I thought, well, no problem. In fact, uh, that extra 24 hours, they wanted it pushed back 24 hours from what I thought was the actual date for the interview. I'll explain in a minute. I got it completely wrong. So I got back in touch with them, etc. sorted out a new date. And I thought, well, my week, at least in terms of work, is going to be slightly easier. And then I realized I was confused. I'd had books sent to me by the same publisher for two guys, different books, but they both had the same first name. I'd got them completely mixed up. The book where I'm not interviewing the guest until mid-July, I'd read that first. The book that I was meant to be interviewing the author tomorrow. I still haven't read that. And I just got confused. And I realized oh, I've made a, another ricket here. I'm going to need to get back to this guy. These things shouldn't be happening. If you heard episode 336, last week's Patreon bonus, that was out on Friday. There was um, an incident last week where I actually completely missed an interview on Wednesday evening never happened before. I'm making so many mistakes. I just think it's easier to own up to them. And I just think it's because I've been overdoing things and maybe it's an age thing as well. But these are mistakes I wouldn't have made a few weeks ago. I've got football again this week, though this time it's going to be on Thursday. I'm sure it would have been changed anyway with the England semi-final coming up on Wednesday. But we met an old guy in the park last week that we were playing with from about the early noughties. He was always nicknamed Diego because he was built like Maradona. And um, I always thought, in fact, he should have been Romario because he didn't do much running, but he could change a game. He, he, he was a real poacher. And I thought Romario was more apt, but instead he was called uh, Diego. Algerian guy. I think originally... And the guys that I play with have conveniently forgotten this, that the relationship with this guy back in the day wasn't the best, that they were originally calling him Diego to mock him, really. I think that's been forgotten as, you know, a kind of friendship built up over the years. And he's in the uh, WhatsApp football group that I'm a part of and occasionally contribute to. He was there last Wednesday to arrange the game that we played in, but he was too busy to to play in it. He was like a, a some super agent, one of these super agents. He was just there to organise a game in the park. Then he went off, but he's um, he says he plays on Thursdays and has invited us to play with him from this Thursday. So um, I'm looking forward to that. And also, I think we needed to avoid central London on Wednesday night. There was a bit of trouble in the West End on Saturday night, predictably after England had beaten Ukraine or thumped Ukraine. Is it Ukraine or the Ukraine? I think the Ukraine will sound better. Any country where you preface it with a the always sounds better to me. So I personally, I don't want to be caught up in, um, in any bus diversions or any trouble after the game. By the way, if um, if you did... Here, uh, episode 336, 
which uh, featured a complete breakdown of last Wednesday evening's football game, my first in 12 years. I forgot to say that the young mouthy star striker, either a Latin or Turkish background, there or thereabouts, the one I was marking or trying to mark that night, because uh, to be fair to him, he was very good. He was calling every one of his uh, teammates, he was calling them blood. Yes, blood. He would say every time he wanted the ball, yes, blood. And... Maybe his teammates were genuinely called blood, I was thinking. Because you get countries where huge percentages of the population share the same surname. I was looking into this, for example, in Vietnam. I don't know how to say this surname, but it's the N might be a silent N at the beginning. Nguyen or Nguyen. I think 40% of the population out there are called Nguyen. So maybe the blood thing is a similar thing. So I guess I'll reserve judgment. Maybe we were genuinely up against a team of bloods. Moving on, saw my aunt and uncle this morning. It's my uncle's birthday in a month. He's also discovered he might actually have been born earlier, in his case, 24 hours earlier. Nothing surprises me anymore with these two. I asked him which date he's going to celebrate his birthday with and he said he'll celebrate it the same day that he's always celebrated it even though that may no longer be his birthday and uh, following on from uh, Friday morning Sainsbury's trip with a pair of them I did say to my cousins it would take me probably about a month to recover from that shopping experience with the pair of them. Meantime, my aunt revealed this morning that she'd bought some golden roast coffee from a certain German budget supermarket and that it was crap. No surprises there. What did surprise us, however, was when she told my uncle and I that she'd actually mixed the golden roast with the gold blend she has. And she was telling us this whilst we were both drinking what were underwhelming coffees, both looking at each other, trying to work out what was going on with the coffee. She decants all the coffee. As soon as she buys it, she uh, she she takes it out of the jar, fills up the coffee-specific jar that she has. So she'd mixed it all up. She's a decanter, and my uncle wasn't impressed. That's why this coffee tastes funny, he said after my aunt's revelation. You wouldn't have known if I hadn't had said anything. Shot back my aunt. I could tell there was something up. My uncle looked at me. Doesn't this coffee taste weird to you? I stood with my uncle on this. The coffee had a, a Frankenstein quality to it. It was just a very unusual taste. At times it seemed as if it was on the brink of taste indecent. And then at other times it was just so disappointing. So began my uncle. Not only have you brought a crap coffee into the house, you've mixed it up with the good coffee to give us one big heap of crap coffee. Well done. And there we go. There is the sound of South London quickly aborted. Just let that one go past. There you go. Tiring. Anyway, the coffee, a strange one from my aunt. She didn't care, of course. She was off to try and find her little St. George's flag for Wednesday's England game. I'm, you know, I'm not a big one for international tournaments. I I, I find them uncomfortable, and I think that's uh, in part down to having that dual identity, that confusing dual identity. It's also... It also brings back memories of Euro 96, which for me and my family was an unpleasant experience. And, you know... 
Spain played England in the quarterfinals, so we had two or three days in the tabloids that were very unpleasant if you were Spanish, but we probably didn't get it as bad as the Germans, and I think they might have met the French in the final, if I remember rightly. I think, did France get to the semifinals that year? I think so. They were knocked out by Czechoslovakia or the Czech Republic as they might have been by then. So imagine what it would have been like if England had to play the uh, French in the final. But that was, and I've said it before, I think it did a Euro series ahead of uh, Euro 2016 on this show when I had a summer run of podcasts that year. It, um, Yeah, these tournaments don't really work for me. They make me feel uncomfortable and uh, Spain play Italy tomorrow night I'd rather Spain go out to Italy tomorrow night and let the Italians deal with taking on England at Wembley in a partisan final on Sunday I can't see England losing to Denmark I just don't want to see Spain lose to England whether Spain win it or not I'm not too fussed to be honest as I say I don't feel one thing or the other But England, my problem with England, I have less of a problem with this England team. I don't think they're anywhere near as spoiled as that uh, so-called golden generation from the noughties. And I didn't understand why those uh, those guys were hailed as the golden generation, because in terms of medals, they hadn't won anywhere near as much as their predecessors of the 70s and 80s who were playing for English clubs at a time when English clubs were just full of British players and they were winning European trophies every year. And I didn't understand why Ericsson's side was so overhyped. I think this is a far better team. I think this England team is a better team than it was at the World Cup. I wasn't sure of that at the start because I think there's only six survivors in this England squad from uh, the 2018 World Cup. And I thought at the 2018 World Cup, it was overlooked that of their seven games, they'd lost three and uh, people would argue that the two Belgium games were dead rubbers. I would argue that ideally you want to emerge from your from your group unbeaten and they'd lost that third game to Belgium and then they lost to Belgium in the third place playoff. They'd lost to Croatia in the semifinals. But this England team, I think they would have the beating, certainly of that Croatia team, I think, had they played them now. Obviously, Croatia in this tournament we've seen are a bit too old. And I'm just uncomfortable at the prospect of England facing Spain. I don't want Spain to lose to England. And I'm not the only one that feels like this. My uncle feels the same. Other Spanish people that I've spoken to would rather see Spain go out to Italy tomorrow night. And you've got to understand that that is a big deal for the Spanish because there is a real rivalry with the Italians, particularly before Spain broke that hoodoo that they had against the Italians. They they broke it in Euro 2008. That was a really big deal because Italy have always been their bogeyman in international football. But... I just don't think anyone wants to be that lamb to the slaughter for England next weekend. And for me, it's it just it doesn't matter. Nothing seems to change. England fans, and I'm generalizing here, and I'm I'm talking about the worst England fans, but I don't think it's a minority. I I I think it's too big to dismiss as a minority, regardless of time passing. They just seem to regenerate. Every 20 years, you've got the same bunch of England fans coming through, largely white working class, booing opposition anthems, taking issue with the knee. Now, 
my original issue with the knee was simply I felt it was a very American thing. And I think here in this country, the knee has a deferential aspect to it, which for me didn't work. It kind of undermined the whole knee thing in terms of the whole Black Lives Matter political aspect that those who are booing the knee claim they're booing it because of the political slant to Black Lives Matter. I don't know enough about that to, to talk about that. But what I will say is, you know, we've all probably had our issues in terms of being discriminated against for whatever reasons. It could be because of our background. Uh, you know, you're not part of the old uh, school tie network in a particular job. You're going to be overlooked for promotion. You might have a, a silly sounding name like I do and you get singled out for that. But if you're white, you won't have been singled out because of the color of your skin. You won't have experienced that. I haven't experienced that. So why should it be an issue for us to get behind people who are being booed or jeered or abused for simply having a different color skin? Why would you take an issue then with the England team taking the knee? So I... You know, you know, this is something that's been going on since black players started to establish themselves as regulars in English club football from the mid 70s onwards. And it may have died down a bit. And then suddenly in the last few years, it's become an issue again. And yet here we are at Wembley, you know, England playing at home, players taking the knee just for eight seconds. And there are still boos. I think... Uh, what was what was the, um, I've forgotten who they played. Oh, against uh, Germany. I think the reception to the knee was a bit better. But people not getting behind that, the people who have been booing it, the people who've been booing the knee in club football, you just think, what is going on with these people? And then, of course, that's almost magnified when it's the England team doing it, taking the knee, being booed. And you've got the anthems, as I say, being booed. And you just think, can I really get behind this? team even though I don't particularly have a problem with this team even though they don't appear anywhere near as entitled as that golden generation even though they actually play decent football I know people are saying they're a bit defensive in this tournament but for me this is an England team I didn't expect I didn't expect to see an England team playing this kind of football I didn't expect to see England producing such technical footballers but I still can't get behind this team and uh you know, please, if I would struggle with the Spain-England final for all of those uh, reasons. On another note, on a lighter note, there was a piece in The Guardian yesterday talking about uh, how the centre part and is making a comeback because of uh, Euro 2020 and um, the likes of Jack Grealish, who, to be fair, has had a centre part in for two or three seasons now. Uh, bringing back curtains, uh, one of the hairstyles of the mid-90s, a great hairstyle, but very much of its time and uh, being brought back now. It is curious that you see, and I, I noticed this with the Arsenal player, Hector Bellerin, who I think was born whenever it was, I think it was the mid-90s. And as he was coming through in the game, he was sporting various hairstyles that were big at around the time the point in the 90s at which he was born. And we're seeing that now. Jack Grealish, born in the mid-90s. Jordan Pickford, born in the mid-90s. And they've got hairstyles that were around at that time. I think it's a very curious thing. It's a bit like those guys who have hair transplants and they 
immediately go for the hairstyles that they missed out on and you know normally tend to go like Antonio Conte the old Chelsea boss he'll go for a, he went for a hairstyle when he had his third successful hair transplant he went for a hairstyle that hasn't been seen on guys for about 30 years which I'm estimating is around the time he lost his hair so it is interesting that guys tend to do that what I would say is Jordan Pickford has gone maybe a bit too early with a centre part in I don't think he's a guy who's ever going to have big volume hair so his hair isn't naturally long. It doesn't grow quickly. And he's gone for a centre part in type, curtains type hairstyle. But the hair's still too short to pull it off. And it's uh, trimmed at the side. So he's got a different length at the sides and the back with a step at the back. That's very early 90s, whereas Jack Grealish is mid 90s. I think Jordan Pickford maybe should have waited until he was mid 90s hair territory before going with a centre parting, and so speaks a veteran of the centre parting. You're listening to Daniel Ruiz Tyson is available episode 337. Follow the show on Twitter and Instagram at 1607westegg, facebook.com forward slash DRT. Available, find all the work at danielruiztyson.com. If you want to make a one-off donation to support all this work, there are PayPal and Coffee.com links on that site. If you enjoy the podcast and if you've never managed to do so, do please rate, review and subscribe to it on Apple Podcasts. That is the easiest way for these indie shows to grow. It does take the show to a slightly wider audience. Most importantly, as I say every week, the best way to support this work is via the Patreon page. Sign up at patreon.com forward slash DRT available. There are over 60 bonus shows on there, the latest of which came out a few days ago on Friday, episode 336. By the way, before I forget, the 1st of July was the 30th anniversary of Little House on the Prairie star Michael Landon's death, as if you didn't know. He was one of those TV personalities that my generation grew up with that you kind of felt was there forever when you were a kid and then you look back and you realize well no they weren't they were around for such a small part of my life and you know by the time I was almost done with my teens he was gone but yeah Michael Landon 30 years now where has that time gone Saturday morning early Saturday morning around 07 30 hours I was woken up by heavy footfall in the communal hallway up and down up and down up and down I was thinking is it downstairs they doing more work this is an early start why haven't we had an email sent round which is the decent thing to do and I couldn't sleep so I was up around 0800 hours and I took a look out the window and there were a couple of ambulances outside again I thought what's going on because I haven't seen this since the old neighbor started having her falls last summer before eventually ending up in a care home the paramedics were there for about five hours and at one point I saw a stretcher by then empty being returned to the ambulance and I've got this feeling I won't say horrible feeling because I know how I'll deal with it but given that the flat hasn't been put up for sale and given that the mail that I've brought up for her and still bring up for her and leave outside her door just for her family to collect, given it's disappeared, there was definitely activity there on Saturday morning. And I'm second guessing, but I'm thinking that it's possible because I know that she was in a care home. I know that she was struggling with COVID at one point about three or four months ago. 
I think around springtime. And if she'd passed away, I would have heard about it. But I'm wondering if they're maybe preparing the flat for her return or if she has returned. And this time they're setting it up in a way that she's going to have a living carer because of all the problems that happened last summer, even after she had a carer coming in four times a day. She was still falling and being found and the you know on the floor when the uh, when the carer would come on their visits, they were pretty much saving the day and the paramedics. I think they must have come four or five times in the space of five or six weeks. So I'm just wondering, and I just told myself, it may not sound great, but with everything that I've got on my plate and, you know, um, you know, what with everything that I'm dealing with housing wise, health wise, I know that if I'm expected to readopt my gopher status where I'm picking up It's Not Okay magazine and, you know, some right wing tabloid again, that's not going to happen. I'm not even going to do that once, you know, things like that didn't help me in terms of where I am now. And uh, as selfish as it sounds, the last year, at least I had some respite from that. And uh, just don't think too much of her family. I never saw them visiting when um, when she was here for whatever it was, six years. Well, when I was here, because she'd been living here for 30 years, but in the six years that I was here before she fell, you know, before her health started to plummet, I only ever saw her family come for her every Christmas Eve to take her there for a couple of days. And I just got the impression they couldn't wait to bring her back, but she never had visitors there apart from the ex. So uh, I'm not going back to that whole business of shopping that needs to be if she is back that's going to be her care worker or her family anyway um moving on a hygiene failed to report this morning 0932 hours in the park as i was walking to my aunt's there was a guy stretching it was either a warm down or a warm up but what really bothered me about the visual was he was stretching in the long grass why would you stretch in the long grass? I wouldn't even stretch in short grass, but at least with short grass, you can see what you're stretching on. This guy, it was almost as if he was some big game hunter hiding in the long grass, about to take aim at some big cat. I saw that and every inch of my body just recoiled in horror. Let's move on to what I'm reading this week. I'm actually all over the place with books. I've got about four books on the go. One of them for when shorts were short, catching up on the book I was meant to read for this week, which I didn't read for this week. But uh, I'm reading three books. The one I read if I'm traveling on a bus, and because I'm reading it traveling on a bus, I won't read it in bed, not in a pandemic beforehand. You know, before the pandemic, I would have wet wiped it, antibacterial wiped it rather, and uh, I would have read it in bed, but not now, not these days. So that's why I'm reading three books. And I'll come to that. I'll fully explain that in a minute. Actually, before I do, let me just give you some email subject headers that I've had just this morning. It's amazing the amount of rubbish you get in your email. I mean, these are all picked up from my spam, thankfully. Email verification needed in 24 hours. Your bonus is 11,585. No, it's 11,585,048 is ready. I don't even know if I've got that number right. As I've told you, I'm not very good with numbers. Check your account over $2,000 in bonuses, pending payment. The offer of a decade. This one, I think they need to improve their grammar, this next one. You're about to enter 
No, you are, there's my eyes. You're about to encounter the element of surprise. Win this £300 gift card. Grow your p by seven to nine inches in a week, which I thought is very specific. And also, if the average size is six, why would you want to add on so many more inches? I mean, that might cause your problems. It might be the equivalent of being, you know, the height of a basketball player. That's going to cause you all sorts of problems, whether on public transport or in terms of the kind of bed you're going to need, the kind of furniture you're going to need. You don't need to be too big with anything, do you? Uh, I think I've got a couple more left. Let me just check. Your neighborhood wants sexual contact now. Exclamation mark. Quite a few of these had exclamation marks. Payout verification. Please confirm now. That's this week's subject headers. And uh, what was I talking about? Where was I? I can't remember. Okay, I was talking about my books. Right, so let me give you the first book I'm reading. It's uh, it's by Richard Whittington Egan, Jack the Ripper, The Definitive Casebook. This is a guy who was a ripperologist, an established ripperologist, maybe even before that was a term in the 70s, mid-70s, who's been around so long, in fact. He's been working on the Whitechapel murders for about 70 years, working on it for so long that I think he actually, in his early days, interviewed people who were kids around the time of the murders in the East End and remembered one or two of the murders. So that goes to show how long he's been around. This is a really heavy book, and I don't mean heavy in terms of material, which it is, of course, because it's quite dark material, but I mean let, let the motorbike go past. I just mean heavy in terms of physically, I can't recall having a heavier book. And it's not actually a a book that's full of whatever, two or 300 pages. It's not formatted brilliantly. It's not easy on the eyes, but it's just, I don't know why it's so heavy. I can't recall having such a heavy book. And I think I started this last night and I knew I wouldn't have a comfortable evening reading this in bed because it was simply too heavy, which is why I then brought a third book into the equation. But uh, I think this book's going to take me a while to read just simply because of the font, as I say, and the, and the layout of the book. I'll read the blurb. The case of Jack the Ripper, Andy Savage, serial killing and horrendous mutilation of five women in the East End of Victorian London is the greatest of all unsolved murder mysteries. For over 100 years, the long line of candidates for the bloodstained laurels of Jack the Ripper has been paraded before us. Policemen and ripperologists have tried in vain to put a name to the faceless silent killer. Richard Whittenden Egan, one of the founding fathers of the search, published in 1975 his casebook on the Ripper, now eagerly sought but long out of print and virtually unobtainable except at mammoth prices, in which he documented the history, the crimes, the investigations and the investigators. He also included some fundamentally new discoveries and points such as the real story of the kidney in Mr. Lusk's renal postbag, wrongly said to be that of Catherine Eddowes, Ripper victim number four. The endless nightmare of the Ripper has rolled on, unstoppable, and now Richard Whittington Egan, in a completely revised and very considerably enlarged edition, I'll say, of the 1975 casebook, has taken a new look from a longer perspective at the theories and the personages who advanced them from the time of the murders right up to the present day. I'm almost tempted to get it on the Kindle just because of the weight and layout of the book. So the book that I'm traveling with is the Cottonley Cuckoo. Is it Cuckoo? Cuckoo. Cuckoo. No, it's Cuckoo, isn't it? Your language. The Cottonley Cuckoo, A.J. Elwood. And there are links 
to the Conan Doyle fairies story, the Cottonleaf fairies. I've read quite a bit about that. The, um, the, the, the two girls who kidded the world with their brilliant cutouts of fairies, I think, in the 1920s. Captivated by books and stories, this is my bus travel book, by the way. Rose dreams of a more fulfilled life away from the confines of the Sunnyside care home where she works to support herself and her boyfriend. She hopes the situation will be short term. Charlotte Favell, an elderly resident, takes a sinister, strange interest in Rose but offers an unexpected glimpse of enchantment. She has a mysterious and aged stack of letters about the Cottonley fairies, the photographs made famous by Arthur Conan Doyle but later dismissed as a hoax. The author of the letter insists he has proof that the fairies exist. Rose is eager to learn more, but Charlotte only allows her to read on when she sees fit. Discovering she is unexpectedly pregnant, Rose feels another door to the future has slammed. The letter's content grows more menacing. Inexplicable events begin to occur inside her home, and Rose begins to entertain dark thoughts about her baby and its origins. Can this simply be depression, or is something darker taking root? A decent book. I'm enjoying it. I think the problem with reading a book when you're traveling is it's intermittent. It takes you a while to get back into it, but I'm enjoying it. It's a decent book. And the third book is a book I've had for four or five years. It's a it's a big paperback and I'm only reading it now because the Ripper book is just so heavy and not suitable for bed. This is A Little Life by Hanya Yanagihara. It's um, the bestseller. I think written in 2015, might have made the Booker Prize shortlist. I tend to avoid those books. You know, just with everything, I try not to gravitate towards the popular, but I bought this because I I really like the book cover. And as you know, I do judge books by their covers. Um, The blurb calls it an immensely powerful and heartbreaking novel of brotherly love and the limits of human endurance. When four graduates from a small Massachusetts college moved to New York to make their way, they're broke, adrift and buoyed only by their friendship and ambition. There is kind, handsome Willem, an aspiring actor, JB, a quick-witted, sometimes cruel Brooklyn-born painter seeking entry to the art world. There's Malcolm, a frustrated architect at a prominent firm and withdrawn, brilliant, enigmatic Jude who serves as their centre of gravity. I think I'd be Jude. Over the decades, their relationships deepen and darken, tinged by addiction, success and pride. Yet their greatest challenge each comes to realise is Jude himself by midlife, a terrifyingly talented litigator, yet an increasingly broken man, his mind and body scarred by a an unspeakable childhood and haunted by what he fears as a degree of trauma that he'll not only be unable to overcome, but that will define his life forever. I worry sometimes when I'm reading these uh, these to you that there'll be spoilers for myself, but I'm okay with that, that last uh, blurb for A Little Life. I don't think there's too much given away there for me, given that I've started reading it. Uh, let me give you this week's Nectar Points. I was in Sainsbury's earlier today after the cafe. I'd gone in there with a points balance of 404, so just 96 now from the promised land of uh, 500 nectar points and £2.50 to use. So bought some antibacterial wipes today, some semi-skim long-life milk still on the long-life milk. Bought a bath sponge, 60p. It said 50p in the store, 60p. Maybe that's my eyes. Maybe it was 60p in the store. But this is. Uh, it was good to find a bath sponge because I'd been looking for a couple of weeks and none of the Sainsbury's branches that I use had any sponges. Maybe there was a sponge shortage for a while. 
I bought some blueberries from Sainsbury's as well. The little ones are on the turn all the time, so I thought maybe I'd have to pay a bit more for for quality, though these ones were actually uh, reduced. Bought some uh, pasta sauce, uh, sweet corn, tin sweet corn shortage in little. Bought some baking potatoes, uh, some sugar-free hauls, lozenges. Again, I, I think I'm addicted to those. And a single orange. If I have an orange, I top it up with another orange. If I find a good size orange, that's the way I do it. So um, earn five points on today's purchases. That takes me up to 409. My points are worth two pounds and four pence. My aunt's got 31 pounds worth of nectar points. So I'm way behind her. Uh, Star Wars football results to bring you Champions League week. The draw has been made. Actually, by the way, before I bring you those, uh, before I bring you the Champions League draw and the results, uh, let me just tell you, Saturday I was bidding, just trying to find the results here. On Saturday, I was bidding for a long time vintage Star Wars figure of interest, one of the original figures. First time I've seen a price jump like this. 20 seconds from the end, I finally made my move. £3.80. I don't pay silly money for these figures. I'm always, you know, on the hunt for a bargain. I did think the price was low. I was surprised that I could make such a low bid 20 seconds from the end, and I thought I'd have to go over £4.20. I expected someone to have automatically set up their uh, bidding to counter any bid that was um, more than theirs. But this was the final 20 seconds. 20 let me lose my South London 20. It was the final 20 seconds. And in that final 20 seconds, the bidding went from my £3.80 to £21. The figure sold for £21. I've never seen a jump like it in just 20 seconds. Absolutely incredible. I'm very careful in terms of what I pay for any uh, vintage action figures. And I also study their feet. I zoom the figures. Is that, what's that? That's uh, Police Siren from the 70s. How many is that now? Two. Keep a count. This could be a new toilet bingo. Police siren bingo. Maybe that'll bring back the listeners. I study their feet. I've been keeping an eye on a, an action figure who's got potential to be a striker. There are two different designs. And I zoomed in on both pictures and was comparing their feet. You like ideally a wide foot if you're looking for a striker. You know, a thin foot action figure can be a little wayward when it comes to the shooting. I have a new arrival who signed for Alderaan. I can't remember their name sometimes. I'm going to have to check his name, but he's got a, a plastic cape at the back that is, you can't remove this cape. So I'm going to have to crop the cape just, well, it's actually a cloak because it's almost, uh, it's touching the back of his calves. I'm going to have to cut the cloak because otherwise he's not going to be very suited to Star Wars football. Um, So the Champions League fixtures, it's still 12 teams this year. I just think it would be too much, uh, too many games for me if I make it a 16-team tournament. So it's uh, four groups of three, but I have tried to boost the strength of non-domestic teams this season. Tatooine, the holders, winners for the past two seasons, they were drawn in a group with Naboo, who were Europa League, a Europa League team last year. They've played in the Champions League previously on two occasions, not really covered themselves in glory. And also in the group is Cantonica, who were seeded second in that group. They uh, reached the quarterfinals last season. They were the surprise package of the Champions League. Group two, Hoth uh, were third seeds for that. They were up against Susubo, who are second seeds, also like Hoth Champions League debutants and twice runners-up. 
Endor, the most romantic of all the Champions League teams, they're in that group as well. Hoth dropping points on uh, Saturday with a goalless draw at home to Sissobo. They'll be a bit worried about that. Uh, tonight, Group 3, Cloud City against Zepho, Empire of the seeded team in that. They returned to the Champions League this year, and of course they were the first ever Champions League winners in Silver Age Season 3. And uh, Group 4, X-Wing a second season, that Agamara third season, Mandalera first season, Mandalera and X-Wing had played last year. X-Wing opened their account uh, on Saturday with a 2-0 win at Agamara. And uh, Hoth had a goalless draw with Susubo on Saturday as well. That was the first game of this year's tournament. Last night, uh, uh, an enthralling encounter between Naboo and Cantonica. Cantonica won by a goal to nil, an own goal. Uh, a couple of minutes from time, Naboo perhaps uh, naively looking to win the game had made three substitutions late in the second half while Cantonica just uh, sat tight. A fortuitous goal, but a very canny win for Cantonica. And uh, interestingly, no home wins yet in this first round of Champions League games. So uh, that's it tonight. Who did I say is playing tonight? It's uh, Cloud City versus Zepho. This, of course, depends what time I come back from my run it's 17.33 hours okay let's end with a brief trip to the cafe not much to tell really today there were some Italian fans in the cafe three of them today you know there are hotels nearby now uh, there's a hotel one such hotel is on the scene of another bar I can't remember its name I've, I've been there a few times even as recently as four or five years ago before it became a hotel they used to have a pool table in there so there were some Italian fans I Heard, I think that you you can only get a thousand Italian fans in Wembley tomorrow, or was it for the final on Sunday if they make the final? But there were these three Italian fans, and I was surprised because none of them were smoking. That is a first and a welcome first because I was sat behind them and I was worried when they turned up. I, I got to the cafe early today at eleven oh five hours, and the usual culprit at that table was there with his smoking, and I had a bit of passive smoking before he left. Uh, so it was a relief that these Italian guys weren't smoking. Also today, I was struck by how if you've never seen a person's face, if you've just got to know them during this pandemic or dealt with them just during this pandemic and they're masked up, it really does make an impression on you. You don't really know who you're talking to because you're only seeing half their face. And I know that sounds like an obvious thing to say, but it was something that struck me today because I had a good look at the waitress as she was coming in to start her shift today without the mask. And it was like seeing a completely different person. I don't mean that in a good or bad way. I don't, I'm not saying anything negative about her. I'm just saying it was so strange to see her unmasked. And again, it just reinforces to me why you couldn't date in a pandemic. You couldn't start dating someone from scratch in a pandemic if you haven't seen their face. Now, I don't know how young people do it. I'm guessing it's all, you know, the whole swiping business and you're seeing it on your phone. But what about the middle aged who are too old to be doing that stuff? You know, you're going to be doing it maybe live. And is that going to be possible in this era of masks? Although from what I'm hearing today, what I'm reading today, masks are going to be voluntary from the 19th onwards here in uh, London. Ordered a second latte from Seb K with a thumbs up gesture today. Again, I'd vocalized the start of it, but just the first couple of words. So in terms of my ordering lattes from a distance, I'm improving. I'm, it's, it's kind of registering with me. I don't need to vocalize it there. 15, 20 metres away. I don't need to actually say it. Just a thumbs up gesture. I gave him the thumbs up. He gave me a thumbs up. 
And um, he was telling me today that if England reach the final on Sunday, they may need to um, set up the uh, the table booking system again that they reserve for Portugal games. They may need to bring that up uh, for Sunday if England do reach that final because he says then it could be that they might get quite a crowd, but there's no plans to do the same for the uh, the semi-finals. And on uh, that low-key note, that is it. That is the end of today's show. Now it's time for you to get those shoulders back. Keep on walking towards the sun. Keep washing those hands. Keep ventilating too. I'm Daniel Ruiz-Tyson and this start of the week I have been available. Available.